We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Thank you for speaking with me today, Chandran. So what we would like to discuss today is keeping on the topic of COVID. We want to look at the geopolitical impacts. And from this moment, what some of the lessons might be going forward that we can learn from COVID around the world? From a geopolitical perspective? Mm, yeah. Well, where do you start? Um, but perhaps uh, the simple way of starting it and to draw people into uh, of what I think is such an important but yet sad uh, indication of where the world is, is the issue of um, how racism has reared its ugly head in geopolitics. And uh, let's be very clear, uh, we all are aware now that the US and its allies, and I'll come to who those allies are, because it's not simple, it's not the whole of the Western world, and its allies have essentially started to uh, attribute the whole COVID thing, uh, the pandemic, to Chinese and the Chinese race. Uh, this is the essence of, of, of racism. To be very simple, uh, I put it very starkly, if, if the pandemic had started in Germany, Australia, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. There wouldn't be primetime TV saying, are the Chinese responsible for it? After all, uh, when HIV became the, the pandemic of our times, um, and of course we lived in a different age, no social media, etc., um, the rest of the world didn't say the Americans are responsible for it. The rest of the way didn't go to and say that the sexual preferences of Americans and all that racism didn't come out. The world said, this is our problem. Similarly, when the UK had the mad cow disease, people didn't go around saying the Brits uh, are responsible for it. So I think at a geopolitical level, one of the, uh, the, one of the, the issues is the, the rise of the rearing of the ugly head of racism, and for me, and why I want to talk about it here, uh, is to essentially remind the world that the sad point about this, and why we need to fight this and speak about this, is that it has brought back what we thought had all gone away. In the post-colonial era, most of us who lived in the colonies were subject to racism. Uh, we thought that the enlightenment of the uh, post-Second World War, the decolonization, had ta taught the West that it couldn't suppress people based on a sense of superiority, etc. But what we found out now is that the decolonization uh, process was essentially a military surrender. There was no choice. But the inherent belief that these other people are inferior, that they are not as good as ours, exists. And some will say this is Donald Trump, uh, but this is not just Donald Trump. Um, and then I can go on to why I think this is not just simply saying the, this is the Western world's racism. Um, and I can also talk about... Yeah, what, what, what do you mean by that? So you say it's not simply the Western world. And earlier on you mentioned that it was US and certain select allies. What exactly do you right. mean by that? 
So uh, in the last uh, week or so, uh, one of the things that has been released is a leaked report by something called uh, the Five Eyes. Most people in the world don't even know this, uh, but this is a racial group. Uh, to be particular, it's a racial group of the Anglo-Saxon global tribe. And who does it include? Uh, it includes the USA, the UK, tiny little Australia, puny little New Zealand, and then there's big country Canada, but puny in terms of population. Uh, what uh, links all of these people? Culture, Anglo-Saxon heritage, and their collective racism against the rest of the world. They're tied. Apart from the UK, which is uh, the, which is an uh, old country, uh, the rest of these countries were essentially offspring of essentially colonialism, imperialism, pillage, rape, etc. You know, the USA, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. And these five countries formed the Five Eyes. It's essentially a security alliance formed just after the Second World War. And it even became as, came as a bit of a surprise when its workings were revealed quite openly about a few years ago when the Germans found out that the Five Eyes were spying on them. So the Five Eyes is an Anglo-Saxon tribe that believed they're superior to everyone else, including their European and Western allies. And uh, they are the ones who just released a, a report. I think it was leaked in Australia through the media, a 15-page report, accusing the Chinese of essentially um, uh, destroying all the evidence, uh, hiding this away, etc. At a time where the lesson we should all be learning, coming back to your point, is that we are one one race as a global uh, population. Mm. We should be sympathizing with the sufferings of all people irrespective of race. And let's just go back three months ago when China was suffering. Uh, there were geopolitical sort of uh, views about oh, oppressive government and all of those things which China was doing. But at that time, no hint that uh, we're going to blame the Chinese based on them because they hadn't traveled to the rest of the world. But it was decrying the Chinese system, which for 30 years since the rise of China, and I will argue and I've argued, is based on essentially the inability to accept the rise of another non-Caucasian civilization. But now that it's transferred, that it's traveled around the world, and the Chinese seem to have got it under control, but there's no guarantees. So. Mm. But the two countries with the, the worst rates of death and where we should be all be sympathizing with the horrors that the populations in the US and the UK are, are, are having to undergo are the ones leading the racist charge. That is something to do with those nasty Chinese. So you're making it almost sound like during this time when US and certain allies, certain associated countries have their backs against the wall, their foreign policy seems to have racism almost integrated into it. It doesn't right seem now. to be. It's a history of racism. So if you look at foreign policy, colonialism was a foreign policy. Let's go to those places, and those uncivilized black people, Chinese, etc. Let's fool them. Uh, let's take their civilizations apart because they are inferior. That was foreign policy. People don't understand. Uh, going to other countries, raping and pillaging it, was foreign policy. So foreign policy uh, and race in terms of the creation of the modern world over the last 300 years uh, is sadly, the truth is, and many people may not want to hear this, rooted in essentially Western racist attitudes towards the rest of the world. Right. And we thought that was over 
uh, once decolonization started, but uh, we've been proven to be terribly wrong. And someone like me who believed in the goodwill of the developed nations because we were told that there were enlightened civilizations, advanced, etc., who actually sought to develop equally with others, feel terribly betrayed. Mm. And yet we don't seem to be seeing racism from the other end of the spectrum. So while the West, while it seems like the Western world is calling, calling for investigations on China, be they, be they neutral, biased, independent bodies, the WHO, we don't seem to be seeing the reverse. Um, would you say that, that, for example, the Chinese or, or Indians don't seem to have the power to exercise what racism they might have in their foreign policy? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's very important to understand that I'm not saying there isn't a racist Chinese person mm. or a racist Chinese uh, politician or there, isn't, uh, there aren't racist Indians and politicians, etc. Uh, we all know they are. But it's the ability to exercise shamelessly your racism over others, exploit your power to do that, which is essentially what we should all uh, rebel against, call out, and not allow people to hide. So to your question, um, we will not know whether the Chinese would have used racism as a means to expand their power and uh, seek uh, to grow into the most powerful nation of, in, in the world. We will find out if they make those missteps over the next 30, 40 years. At the moment, they don't seem to be doing that. That doesn't mean that they are not having missteps in the way they are essentially going about uh, investing in, in China, in, in Africa, etc. But let's be very clear, 300 years of European uh, interventions in, in, in uh, Africa were not based on fair deals. They were based on extraction, same with India. So the point is that um, China and India uh, may uh, have their own racist tendencies, but they have not been able to exercise it. And if the West uh, is uh, portraying itself as enlightened civilizations, etc., an enlightened modern civilization, um, then it should not be displaying these traits. So why is it that you know as soon as the Russia, as soon as the U.S. Uh, with Donald Trump says this, then as night follows day, the Australians come in. It's the trend. It's always the same because the tribe essentially believes in its superiority. Um, the Australians believe, despite all the veneer about caring about the first Australians. Uh, uh, that they are superior to these people. They can, they can pander to these people, but they know these people are not a threat. They know these people will vanish, and that's, the, uh, that's, that's how they believe. So I think this is the point I'm trying to make. The other point I'll make is an interesting one, maybe for people listening in. Um, in the West, almost all of the mainstream Western media, uh, the BBC even, the CNN, have jumped onto the story. Rather than dismiss it as absolute racism, like I'm trying to do, but more eloquently tell the whole world, including the FT, the New York Times, this is racist, we should not do it. They eventually followed the story, given it prime time. 
had their usual talking heads and commentators come on and so bludgeon the world because they control the uh, the the media space you know into every hotel room in different parts of the world and say mm, Chinese Chinese I have a friend who said you know I read the FT I'm Chinese I live in Hong Kong I know this is untrue but every day I read it I just found myself beginning to believe it so that's how mm. the media media works it's a bit like pop music uh, you know, you start humming a tune that is it's just inane and stupid. Uh, might be a Beatles tune. Uh, but so the point I'm trying to make here is uh, they haven't called it out. But interestingly, that same media has been very, very quick to call Donald Trump a racist when he has a go at black people, Hispanic people, and other Americans of what they call color. And then you might say, well, oh, wow, they really do understand racism. I'd argue they don't. They're just as racist, but calling out Donald Trump allows them to camouflage their inherent racism because calling out Donald Trump, who calls out a black American soccer uh, for a football player who takes the knee, gives them the credentials, give, burnishes the reputations of being liberal because that black football player they know is not a, uh, is not a threat. Similarly in the UK and Europe where they, they use soccer as essentially um, a front to say we are open societies, we are not racist etc. Whenever a black person, soccer player is insulted with uh, someone throwing a banana or making monkey noises, it burnishes the credentials. Since we are such an open society. Why? Because that black soccer player is not a threat. So you're saying that there's a structural level of racism that's deeper than, than the surface level of media entertainment. It's structural, it's economic, it's power. The Western journalist who shouts, out, uh, shouts against racism in their own country is a beneficiary of the structural racism of the, uh, the Western world against the rest of the okay. world. And this has come out so clearly today. And how does that structural racism contend with the argument that many are saying this could be a turning point, that the post-Western world is on our doorstep? In terms of that... Uh, I mean, why I think it's important when what I'm talking about this is um, the we thought this would had gone away, but it has reared its ugly head, and it reared its ugly head because those who are losing power, as we turn into uh, post-Western world, and in this instance led by the the U.S., essentially have reverted to type, and that is to come out fighting, and your worst traits come out. So for 50 years, they try to hide it. Uh, liberal presidents try not to say things. They even elected uh, a black president, or at least his mom was white, if I remember right. Um, they elected, uh, uh, and that gave everyone a sense that oh, we're such an open country. But the turning point, though, is the inability to accept the sharing of power with a non-racially similar civilization. And this instance is the Chinese. I've lived in Hong Kong for 30 years. I'm not Chinese. I have no particular affinity for the Chinese political system or any political system. I try and look at results. Uh, when I first went to China, I saw an impoverished country, so poor. I just come from Africa. And I thought, how are they going to do this? 
and they meant they did certain things. They made many mistakes, but they lifted more than 500 million people out of poverty, which has never been done in human history. So you give credit where it's due. Sitting in Hong Kong here, I was regularly astounded at the dishonesty of journalists, um, Western journalists, who constantly attacked China. So I tried to find out why do they keep attacking China? I never ever thought they must be racist at heart because these are my friends. I know these guys. They're liberals. So I wondered why. So is it because they really care about Chinese people? I found out no. Why would they care about Chinese people? Uh, do they really hate the fact that the ideological system is different? Yes. But then the real conclusion is that sense of superiority uh, through the preeminence of Western civilization that's manifested in today's world through the United States. So even if you're a Brit, you can say it's, it's, it, they're one of us. Um, that is the biggest fear. And that fear now is manifesting itself so openly and in a raw way because the power is shifting. In this instance, the Chinese. But if you can tell the Indians, the Indonesians, the Africans, those Chinese are bad. They are nasty. They eat strange things. Then you can continue to essentially f forward the agenda, we are superior. Those people are bad. Don't go with them. Don't trade with them. Don't visit their countries. Don't believe in their science. Don't let their companies come and trade with you. So the turning point now, uh, if there is a turning point, is what are we going to do, the majority? Are we going to listen to the propaganda of the Western media? Are we going to first search for ourselves and understand what I'm trying to explain here in a very short, uh, mm. short interview? So, Chandran, can you tell me about some examples of this? You, you mentioned this deep structural racism and how the West has not done its due to make up for this or meet reparations. Can you tell me anything about that? Yes, uh, it's interesting, you know, you talk about the history and then you talk about reparations too. So one of the things that the, um, that the Five Y members and a few others are calling for is reparations from China. I mean, this is laughable. Uh, for those of us who follow the history of racism, the subjugation of races, etc., and let's start with black America, there's been a call for reparations uh, uh, in the USA. The USA has not paid a penny. If you paid for uh, a penny, uh, if you paid for 400 years of slavery, it would be bankrupt. So before they do that, they need to really think about that. And and funnily enough, and very ironically, the Australians have called for reparations. Uh, Native uh, first world first nation uh, Australians will be laughing. So the Australians want reparations, and the Chinese let the first nation ever uh, people of Australia get their reparations first. The Chinese will not pay for that. Right, so so all of the the reparations discussion is an interesting irony in terms of uh, the call for reparations. But let's call let's talk about other global events that require international investigations. And and by the way, I think China should allow uh, an international uh, study, not an investigation. And um, last night, the former um, Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd. Uh, who's an exception because he understands China. Why? He speaks Chinese. I uh, made a very, very good uh, 
suggestion. He said, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not even suggesting there should be one, because as I said, if this started in the UK, we would not be having, this, this discussion wouldn't be there. So there's racism in it already. But given that the West uh, wants to pursue its racist accusations against China, demonize the race, now he suggests that let's have a, a, something that is essentially convened by the United Nations. The Secretary General will call one, it will be led by Chinese scientists, etc. It should generally be, it should be led by the WHO. But the WHO has been discredited, I would argue, you cannot run away from it. The WHO is being discredited because it's led by an African. It was led by a Brit or an American, we would not be having this conversation. So let's be very clear about this racism. And he made a very good suggestion. So that should be something that perhaps could be done. Uh, and China, I think, uh, should do it and say, hey, we got nothing to hide. But if you look at uh, incidents like this, well, why don't we have an international investigation into the Iraq war, which is uh, mass murder on a large scale? Let us have that. No such inquiry. Uh, more people died in that than will die from the pandemic. Let's have an international inquiry about what happened uh, uh, during HIV and, the, and, and the, when it first broke out and all the things that were hidden. So you could go on. Let's even have an in international investigation and calculate what the reparations should be for essentially the scandalous, unethical behavior of the U.S. investment banks and what happened with the subprime mortgage crisis, which is American built, but affected the whole world and cost us all our money. Why don't we have an investigation and have reparations? So that's really important for the world to understand. But what is so sad, those of us who are not Americans, those of us who are educated, we just remain silent. Because we got so used to the stench of racism, we just walk by it and we use a bit of cologne uh, to then overcome it. And that is essentially the culpability of all of us in remaining quiet. But that culpability has also some background, our fear. Our fear that the man will come and get us. And it's time that we not do this. So, you know, it's really important to think about this sort of racism. The, the use of nuclear weapons in Japan, racist. The, no one's ever called for an international investigation into the use of chemical weapons in Vietnam. No one's called for that. Uh, no one's called for what really happened in terms of the genocidal um, killing of the first Australians. No one's called for it. So how do we speak up against this? Do we turn to media? Is that the platform we go for? Global media? Oh, global media is culpable in, as I said earlier, CNN is not going to have me on talking about this, or you. Uh, everyone they've interviewed with regard to this issue has been a Westerner. They've never called an African to dismiss this as ridiculous because an African will say, are you kidding me? And what about reparations to black people in the United States? So the global media is not going to do this, which comes to a larger point which we don't have time to discuss here, but something I've been calling for. So where is the global media which is not in the hands of essentially the Western power elite. And that we need to build in this part of the world. Uh, we have a few semblance of things that are beginning to take shoot. Uh, anyone listening, I would, argue, uh, I would ask you to go and watch CGTN, the Chinese Global News, Global TV Network. And as soon as I say this, 
Most Westerners will go, oh my God, are you kidding me? Should I go and watch something Chinese? Just go and watch and make, your own, uh, make up your own mind. You will not find the racist undertones that you see on many of what we call the global TV network. I'll just give you one example. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago uh, on Hard Talk. Stephen Sacker, who I think is an excellent anchor, and I would not accuse of being racist or whatever, uh, interviewed the Chinese ambassador to the UK about this very issue. Mm. And as he does, as, as part of the format, he was questioning. Um, but it was very interesting that um, even someone as seasoned as Stephen Sacker could not essentially understand how he had fallen into the same trap. At least three times he told the Chinese ambassador, and most of the world believe that China is hiding something. In a report from the international community, and the Chinese ambassador uh, very politely and eloquently reminded Stephen Sacker that the UK, Australia, and the US don't make up the world. They don't even make 10% of the world. But a seasoned global commentator like that sits in a studio and lives in a world where you, you, your, your trade is words, your trade is language, and just said it three times and had to be corrected. And the other thing that was sad was to see him interrupt the ambassador of China. He would never interrupt the Secretary of State of the United States in that way same, the tyranny of English, we are same, you are different people. I don't think it was conscious, but that's what I mean by the structural racism. Mm. And the last point, at the end, he wanted to nail the, the ambassador, which is part of the show, we understand, and he said, in ways that if only you are Asian, non-Caucasian, you will see, oh my God, that is so racist. He said, and are you going to shut those wet markets? as though the wet markets belong to another era of primitive people, dirty hygiene, don't understand it. And he kept pressing him. And the ambassador said, we don't have wet markets. We have fresh markets, just like you. But the ambassador was quick to acknowledge, but we are going to get rid of all those markets that trade in wildlife. And he said, I agree with you on that. So that's really important to understand how you deal with this issue, but also how entrenched that racism is. And you know, uh, so there are many examples of the foreign policy racism. I said colonialism was essentially based on entrenched racism. So for people who are interested, you know, there are lots of books. And the danger for our, our time, how do we speak up? It's not mm. through mainstream media. We have to create the voices. But our younger next generation don't even know what happened in Vietnam. In fact, they don't even know what happened in Iraq uh, 15, 19 years ago, a racist war against Muslims and Arab people by a person, a president who's now being lionized in the US as reasonable. So if you're interested in all of these, go and read the books. I can recommend at least three. Uh, one was how um, Europe underdeveloped Africa by, by uh, Rodney Frank. Then there is um, uh, the other book, The Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon. And then if you want to really understand the history of the United States, go and read uh, uh, Buried My Heart at Wounded Knee. 
about the genocide committed against the Native Americans. To this day, there's no data on how many people were killed because no one's interested to know. And finally, more contemporary, the Shashi Tharu's very good book about what the Brits did to India called the Inglorious Empire and how the great English leader called Churchill was, rep was responsible for what Shashi Tharu called genocide. Go and read, make up your own mind. But we have to start speaking up, not in terms of ranting and polemic, but in terms of facts, understanding history, and calling out the rewriting of history that is going on right now, and the re replacing of essentially what we tried to build uh, with uh, hardcore racism, which belonged to three, four hundred years ago in history. Sure, so what then would you recommend learnings are for both the West and the rest? What does the West need to do to equalize these things? And what can India, China, Indonesia learn right now about the future? I mean, um, if you asked me this question uh, a couple of years ago, and I said those of us who had faith, who believed that the West uh, had a bigger, uh, a bigger vision of the, how the world should go, given that the West was responsible for the rape and pillage of the world and the destruction of the First World War, the Second World War. And we really believed in that. Uh, we went to their schools, etc. Um, I thought, yeah, this is, we're going to do something different. They're going to let us rise. Um, then I started to find out that this is not true. As soon as uh, the rise of the others started to impinge on what I would call the privileges of the West, then, hey, this is no good, that whole story of globalization. As long as globalization ensured that we disproportionately benefited from its upside, then it's good. But as soon as those Chinese and Indians and all of those others and Africans came on board and started to also benefit, and therefore, because they are larger in number, our privileges were being eroded. They were going to write the new rules then this globalization was mm. bad. So to, to quickly answer your question, I've come to the conclusion at this stage, particularly given that this in moment in time where there's a pandemic, the first pandemic in a uh, in hundred years since the First World War, you would have thought the Western world would have shed its, uh, its prejudices and, uh, and uh, disrespect for other cultures and being a lot more open, but we found they haven't. And I'm of course generalizing here, but they haven't. Um, that doesn't mean there are not, not, not many people in the West who think we shouldn't be doing this. But you have to understand, and this comes down to us, you have to understand that if you have essentially been economically and militarily superior and controlled the world for 300 years, it is painful to share. So can the West learn? I don't know. I have lost faith. But what I do know is they will have to adjust. It will be painful. So we too need to essentially then learn from this. So the learning for the Asian world is, and the rest of Africa is, as power shifts, and it will shift, we are in the midst of that. China's rise, India will rise, Nigeria will rise. We should not do the same thing become powerful and then in our insecurity to essentially hold on to our power, use racist means 
to look down on people and punish them uh, through our internal fears. Because in a way, racism is a mental illness. It's a sense of not being well. And there's a lot of scholarship on this, but it is an illness. We need to be sure that as we rise, we do not become ill like this. And that's a very important thing that this part of the world must, um, must uh, educate everyone here, learn from these lessons, and at the moment not be seduced by the racism that the United led by the United States and its allies, particularly the Anglophone world, but some others, uh, to seduce us into believing that one country is, is bad, those people are inferior, uh, because it can happen to any one of us. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really the, the point I want to make. Well, thank you, Charles, and I think that's a powerful image to end on, so thank you. Thank you. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program. No, sir.